from the birthplace of radio's greatest era, live from New York, it's Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough. Wait, who? Kevin McCullough, let me start with you. Huh? The big dog, Kevin McCullough. Who? Kevin McCullough. Uh, no, who? Nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. Who? Kevin McCullough? Kevin McCullough is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. What? And CEO of Extreme Media. Oh. Well, so glad to have you with us on this uh, Saturday. It is a, uh, man, is it a packed show tonight. We have got so much to get to. We are going to talk to Jesus, or Jonathan Rumi, the the guy that portrays Jesus in The Chosen. We're going to speak on the red carpet to several of the women of The Chosen. Uh, The Chosen opening in theaters this weekend, and man, is it tearing up box office proceeds right out of the gate it's just amazing to see what this show continues to do if you're not familiar with it we spoke with dallas jenkins the director last week but uh, this week i was actually on the teal carpet because their logo is all in teal uh, instead of a red carpet uh, and that was the uh, that was the opportunity i had to uh, get face to face with a lot of the cast members many of whom you may not know by name but as the hundreds of millions of viewers continue to view this series in the days and weeks to come uh you will you will get to know them and uh, we i'll give you a little taste of of it uh, we'll, we'll we'll play the trailer here in a bit and uh, you, you'll get a real sense of where season three is about to go but what what an event and then that was that was the first part of my week the, the, then i was the next night in nashville so it was atlanta for the for the chosen the next night i'm in nashville at belmont university for the wing feather saga opening ran into keith and Kristen getty l ellie uh, holcomb who by the way happens to be our new music spotlight tonight um what else uh i, I met uh, ariel jody benson i uh, want to be part of her, uh, part of your world uh and and we'll we'll talk about that premiere uh in an upcoming uh episode because i just i couldn't put all of this in the same show but man what a what a night we have for you tonight. So we'll, we'll go to the red carpet, the teal carpet of The Chosen. We'll get some up-close uh, and personal time with uh, the Quintus uh, character, Brandon Potter, uh, who plays the centurion, the mean guy, uh, the, the man who portrays Jesus, Jonathan Rumi. And then in the uh, ladies' lounge tonight, we'll, we'll get face-to-face with four of the biggest female stars of The Chosen television series, all crowdfunded, all paid for by the audiences that actually want to see it. It's really a remarkable business model in terms of what they're doing. But that's uh, coming up in a bit. Okay, also, uh, we've got a lot of news to get to because we have settled the race for, obviously, the uh, House of Representatives. Uh, we do know that the Republicans did, in fact, win the House of Rep- uh, the, the House race. A lot of questions as to whether it was going to happen or not. And the control of the Senate, uh, conceivably, is uh, not determined yet. I mean, although it will be a Democrat-held Senate, even if Herschel Walker wins in Georgia, but uh, it would be great to flip that seat. And if you're in Georgia and you're you're going to be there, make sure you vote. Um, it's really important that uh, we, we put another um, common sense guy into the uh, Senate chamber with uh, the the people that are trying to do the good work there. Uh, but tonight we'll, we'll speak with Monica Crowley, find out a little bit about uh, what her uh, thoughts are on the on the outcomes of the election. Nancy Pelosi stepping down from leadership this week. That's going to be a huge story going forward. And who on earth is going to replace her? 
Are we going to see an AOC uh, minority leader uh, be in line for Speaker of the House if the Democrats win back that the, the House of Representatives at some point? Oh, heaven forbid. Um, we're going to get into some information tonight, too. There's some interesting post-election data coming out. Kelsey Bowler is going to talk to us about it from the Independent Women's Forum. But the women's vote went very differently depending on what type of woman you were. And the uh, angry mama bears that I thought were going to come out did come out. They did vote. They did uh, express their thoughts on this. Uh, and then there was another sector that uh, seemed to also speak loudly. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that with her a little bit and figure out uh, what it all means. Um, this hour, uh, we are going to go pay a visit to the World War II Museum in New Orleans. Uh, Stephen Watson is going to be with us, the CEO of the museum. And it is a remarkable place. Uh, we're going to get uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, uplook at that. And then coming up next, in the next segment, Justin Hart's here. Uh, his brand-new best-selling book, Gone Viral, uh, is all about the, the way things went bad during pandemic. But more than anything, it is a documentation of the wrongs done and of the best defenses you can use when uh, debating or arguing this in the future with uh, people that you uh, you know have to have to interact with, I'm looking forward to seeing my longtime friend Justin Hart. And then we're going to sprinkle in these little uh, tidbits and moments. We've got a we've got a snippet. We couldn't make it to the new music spotlight tonight, but we've got a snippet of a brand new song released by Matt Marr, specifically with the chosen episodes that are releasing in the theaters uh, this weekend. Uh, it is uh, it is going to be a, a pretty moving uh, thing. There's a great line in the first season of The Chosen where they're talking about uh, they're talking the Nicodemus is asking Mary Magdalene why why she's no longer demonically possessed and and how she's coming to love God, and she said I'm a different person than than who I used to be, and he is the one that's in between. Uh, he's the difference. Uh, and it's so Matt Marr was inspired by that. He went and made a song about it. Uh, we'll get into that before we're done as well. But I promised you uh, a look at the um, at what season three is going to look like. Uh, hold on to your to your seats. This is going to be good. I promise. You look troubled. I am. You're losing something. I know what that's like. What are you losing? Time. to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you someone touched me if you are really the one who is to come should we look for someone else go and tell John what you hear and see who is it Where did we stop it's him I'm Judas of Keriot I have chosen you twelve as my apostles. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. What is stirring in your hearts? In the middle of such division and unrest, is Father God being revealed to you? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. A scourge of false prophecy must stop. Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, 
We will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. I am the law of Moses. They're here for Jesus of Nazareth. More valuable than gold, more precious than rubies. Force them out. We are still Rome. then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm the one who caused their hunger. I should be the one to feed them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, The Chosen uh, TV series, season three, the crowdfunded uh, absolute bonkers hit uh, Dallas Jenkins uh, produced, and it uh, is only in theaters this weekend. You can't you can't see the first two episodes unless you go to the theaters, but it's, it's going to be well worth it. First two complete episodes of season three uh, being offered, and then uh, that sneak peek at that uh, brand new song from Matt Marr. Uh, we've got a full show for you. When we come back, we're going to talk about all the things that went wrong uh, with COVID uh, and why Gone Viral is so important. Justin Hart is uh, with us. He actually helped produce uh, one of the um, batches of, of, of data that Dr. Scott Atlas was using to help uh, advise uh, President Trump at the time. And he's started a brand new group that is going to be advising uh, public leaders publicly about the true the true dangers of science uh, being manipulated in the political space. It, it's going to be a very big, I think, service to the the United States as a whole, uh, because we we've, we've needed someone like this, an independent group that can, in fact, um, call a spade a spade and not be afraid that they're going to be canceled. Uh, and he's got a great group of people uh, all helping in the uh, work that have just, you know, the best um uh, the the best credentials uh, possible. So uh, that's all coming up, uh, and then later World War II. Ellie Holcomb in the New Music Spotlight, Ladies Lounge, uh, Monica Crowley, Kelsey Bowler, Bethany Mandel, and the st the female stars of the the Chosen uh, season three. We got um, Laura uh, Laura Silva. We've got uh, Vanessa Benavente, Amber. Shanna Williams, who was with us last week, and then uh, the girl that plays Mary Magdalene herself, Elizabeth uh, Tabish. All coming up. Told you, it's a packed show. You don't want to miss one second of it on this big, big Saturday night, uh, Radio Night Live. And now, from New York, back to Radio Night Live, here's Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, very glad to have you with us. Uh, and we have discussed much in recent times about um, even prior to the election and so forth. We, we've been talking about the, um, uh, the the damage that the pandemic ended up having on uh, our families, on our lives, on our kids specifically. And I find it very ironic that the week prior to the election, uh, the Democrats uh, decide to r rally their their uh, wagons, not only around the issue of abortion, which is obviously abusive towards children, but now arguing for something called pandemic amnesty. 
and the idea that uh, if you were a concerned mom or dad and you had concerns that you know you 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 were told to follow all these rules or else and then you followed them and then you didn't you didn't end up having the sublime experience that it was supposed to bring about that you're somehow the problem that's that's the sum of the argument uh, in total that they're trying to lay at you well someone who's doing something about it interestingly enough had been writing a book prior to this and just at the key time when they're starting to lay out this case for pandemic amnesty, uh, Justin Hart has decided to release Gone Viral. Uh, and uh, it is a, a bestseller for Regnery Publishing, which is, of course, a sister organization to uh, Salem Broadcast, which uh, I am a part of. But how COVID drove the world insane. Justin, good to see you. Thanks for coming back to the Kevin McCullough microphone. Thanks be with you, old friend. Great to see you. Yeah, you too. So let me just start with the news they're 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 actually they actually they actually have the audacity to come to us slap us in the face and say no you're, you're inappropriate for getting mad and all these things went wrong when we told you that they wouldn't yeah what a crazy scene we have this scenario where uh these uh, health overlords who we didn't elect uh, who we had no idea had so much control and influence over our lives uh, are now reaching around and saying look we we just didn't know we just know didn't know any of this stuff so you should forgive us now the author of this is emily oster who is a professor at brown university and early on she was one of the key key components uh, she was not an innocent bystander she had the data she had the goods she collected data from august 2020 until the next year demonstrating that masks in school had no discernible impact on the cases or caseloads that they saw with students or staff. And to that effect, we said, amen, thank you for, for doing this. Someone is finally collecting the data. Well, then she sat on it and she archived it and she didn't push for peer review of her article because of the pressure she was getting. And so those people who had immense influence uh, over this and sat on the fence or worse, uh, actually implemented a lot of these interventions. We cannot just let this go past. We welcome them to Team Reality. It turns out when they acknowledge that they need uh, amnesty, they know they've done something wrong. So we're glad for that admission. They haven't apologized. We welcome them to, it, to, to Team Reality, as we like to call it. But Kevin, the, the one thing we should know, they should never ever have an influence over public policy again. Yeah, no, and I think, uh, you know, I've talked a lot with doctors throughout the duration of the pandemic. And uh, I think that the loss of any ability to have any faith in our public health institutions is gonna be one of the really long-term damages that COVID and the way it was handled brought about. We, we used to be very dependent upon the, um, the CDC and um, the, you know, uh, all the other institutes that uh, study viruses and stuff to, to tell us the truth. Because, you know, there's people that are skilled at, at that level of, of science that the average person isn't. They, they see things that the average person doesn't. But as you had doctors peeling off saying they're not following science anymore, it's not going anywhere near where science should be. And then you find out things like Randy Weingarten is was writing the, the policy for children uh, for the CDC instead of doctors, instead of uh, scientists making it uh, based on science. She's writing it from a public policy pro-union, uh, pro-teachers perspective. Uh, I think the American people have had it. And I think it's one of the things that, uh, you know, drove the um, the election the way it did this year. But I also think it's going to be something that the angry mamas and papa bears are going to be remembering for elections yet to come, because this was this was one of the worst 
tragedies in in contemporary history for for the American family. Yeah, look, nothing bridges the ideological divide between Republican and Democratic families as an unelected bureaucrat who hasn't seen a patient in 30 years coming in and wanting to force an injection on your child. That will build a lot of bridges and create a brand new coalition. And I think that's what we're going to see. So in the book, the gone viral, how COVID drove the world insane, we really do sort of catalog everything that's there but it's also designed with a bunch of myth busting in mind we Good. take each one of the major myths and we try to blow it apart so that when someone tries to mask up your kid or keep them from school you have the tools that you need that fodder that you need uh, to keep them intact and keep them from quarantining your healthy people you were you were writing this long before the pandemic amnesty argument started to be put forward. Talk to me about your motivation in wanting to lay it out the way you did. You know, 2020, I was a consultant. Uh, again, I, I lay out, I'm not a healthcare expert, and normally I wouldn't insert myself into someone else's domain, Kim, but uh, they seem to have no problem inserting themselves into mine, right? My kids' education, my business, my barber, my coffee shop, right? So I said, let's take a look at this. My clientele was dead by the time that April came along. Now, my main client was doing high-end golf excursions, for baby boomers so you can imagine how that business bore out as the spring wore on and the shutdowns came and so i said i've got some time on my hands let's talk about the rona when i went through and found some experts and found some people i decided to put together a ragtag bunch of experts and analysts moms and dads who basically wanted to have a contrarian COVID look at this thing and say, are we doing the right thing? And I started to find people like Jay Bachatari at Stanford, John Ioannidis. Our group became the backbone behind Scott Atlas when he was at the White House, providing him data and charts and all the analysis he need to help make his decisions and convince people up that way. Uh, he was somewhat successful, but again, the election went in a very different direction in 2020, and we know how that all bore out. My reason for writing the book and for you know putting our group together, which is called Rational Ground, was really devised on this at premise. I know I can go to the ballot box and make some changes. My kids don't have that, that luxury. I've yeah. got to do something to stand up for them. I have two young kids. I've got eight kids all together. I've got three, sorry, three young kids under the age of five and they were in preschool. The devastation that happens to them, right, when they're masked up is untold. And those are the stories that we tell in the book. Those are the stats. I'll give you one stat that is undeniable. It actually cuts across political boundaries. Uh, we believe that in the spring of 2020, based on several studies that we missed about 200,000 cases of potential domestic abuse because it's typically sharp-eyed teachers and administrators who catch these things. Johnny's got a bruise on his arm. Mom has a black eye. Dad's come in. He's disheveled and shaken. What's going on here? Kids weren't in school, Kevin. The, we didn't have that. I mean, no, no one looked at that flip side of the coin and said, what will be the devastation to those families that are typically used to this sort of catch-all net that you can get things done with, uh, you know, your society back net there, the backdrop? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's a book that is well needed, gone viral, friends, by Regnery Publishing. Please uh, get a copy wherever you buy uh, your books. Your your book, Rash I mean, your group, Rational Ground. You guys are still together. What are you working on now? 
Yeah, we're working on, I mean, this keeps rearing its ugly head, right? The, the, when the cases go up, you can bet that they're going to be using these tactics again. There will be hearings, and we intend to be part of that to help steer those in the right direction. COVID on trial with Dr. Fauci in the docket is something I would very much look forward to. Yeah, Justin Hart, author of the book Gone Viral. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. Some of my conversations from the chosen teal carpet premiere. You know, in terms of like real human struggle, right? The darkness that everyone has to face in their life. This season starts to get into that. And I, I think it has to in order to really explore the kind of uh, hope that Jesus brings these folks. So in terms of darkness and brutality, it's not just like Game of Thrones, people getting their cuts off, the head cut off with a sword or whatever. It's human personal struggles and that's what we're going to explore in this season there's a lot more component of um human depth i think in the chosen almost almost like why people liked this is us there's kind of a component of getting so inside these characters and so really seeing the struggle talk about quintus because after you were on the show a couple of weeks ago my family started re-binging again and my, my it's interesting to watch my 10 and my seven-year-old watch your character specifically yeah. because my 10 year old very much is like dad i think that quintus guy he hasn't gone to the part where you've made the decision you know where, where you're starting to like investigate you know he's like i think i think there's something up with that quintus guy but but talk about that element of the creative and how it impacts the storytelling well first of all i'm happy that uh, he thinks there's something up with quintus that's just excellent and he's right uh in order to sort of deal with what Jesus is up to out in the woods, Quintus uh, has to like evaluate what's going on to begin with, right? There's like a fact-finding or reconnaissance or just sort of receiving information. And, and y y your kid is very astute in thinking that like that, that contributes to like a rising temperature, right? Like the water starts to get boiling and eventually it will boil. And I, I think that sooner or later, the, the Quintus stew is going to boil and that's when things are going to uh, get, get interesting. What are your thoughts? Yeah. You're into season three. I understand this is going to be a, a little raw, a little more brutal maybe in some aspects in terms of the storytelling. Obviously, Jesus's final path towards the cross is going to get really brutal before it's done. Um, but what what's your experience in this in this journey so far? Um, it's I mean, it's been nothing short of breathtaking, awesome, challenging at times. Um, faith enriching uh yeah it's been it's been all of the above and uh I'm, I'm just so humbled to get to to live out this journey it's a once in a lifetime kind of role so is it intimidating even frightening to try to play the son of god um in the earthly existence you know i i don't think of it as playing the son of god in 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 a tr in that kind of weighty sense i think if i if I did come at it that way, I, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. Like, you know what I mean? It just wouldn't happen. Be like, sorry guys, can't film today. I'm just overwhelmed with the, my, my my nothingness in, in the universe. Um, so the way I see it is that God put me in this position to play his son. He gave me a lot of time to, to practice the role prior to The Chosen. So 
I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I continue to pray that he will continue to lead me to this place of where I think I'm supposed to be. And uh, so if he's going to put me here, then, then I owe it to him to just give everything I have. That's an incredible answer. Let me ask you from this perspective. Um, there are some preconceived notions about what Jesus is. If you go to Sunday school curriculums or church programs or, or even old faith-based movies that have been made, even to some degree, The Passion of the Christ, where Caviezel kind of broke through in that genre on the main, mainstream screen for the first time. But there's, there's a refreshing kind of part of how you're interpreting him that doesn't shy away from the difficult but is always attracting and trying to say, I've got something better for you. How do you, how do you walk that balance? I don't know that I could think it through in that way. I, I think, sorry, I paid to think and come up with opinions. So this is, this is my, the best I can do. This is great. And if I had a script, I'd be able to give you a much better answer than what I'm about to say. But um, I, the way I see it is that when we get these scripts, which are so wonderfully written and in my opinion divinely inspired and influenced um, it's part of this overall divine partnership where it's like okay God sort of gave these guys some stuff and he's given Dallas some other stuff and then he gave me some stuff and then we put all the stuff together it's like loaves and fish everybody brings a little bit we put it together and then God's like bam feed millions of people and uh, my, my only responsibility is to get out of the way of the role is to, to empty myself out to be a mirror of God's uh, love his mercy and compassion and whatever else is reflected through me in this show that people receive that's beyond me and he was the in case you didn't hear him, he said, the rest, that's not on me. And he pointed up uh, to God. That's Jonathan Rumi, the man who placed Jesus in the chosen. Opening this weekend, Kevin McCullough, Radio Night Live, coming right back. Everybody loves my baby, and now back to Radio Night Live. Once again, Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, very glad to have you with us. There are fewer pieces of history that are more meaningful and, I don't know, in some way uh, uh, touching to my own heart, life, soul than the era around World War II. I'm not sure why this is, because we've fought bigger wars and we've fought uh, longer wars. Um, but there was something about the fact that I guess that both of my grandfathers participated in it. Uh, and I grew up with them, um, kind of understanding from a mystical kind of sense most of the times, because they never talk about it, uh, that they went through that experience. Um, it's always been something that's fascinated me. And recently I've discovered that America's National World War II Museum in New Orleans is about to unleash something that I desperately want to go see and hope to uh, sometime soon. Um, Stephen Watson, CEO of the museum is with us. And uh, Stephen, thank you for being here. You're about to unveil this incredible new interactive experience that's, uh, I guess it kind of verges on what the, the, the buzzword here in New York is about uh, displays. You know, it's more immersive, but describe what you're about to do. Well, thank you, Kevin. Yes, so uh, we think we have really an incredible 
uh, unique experience here at the museum. It's called Expressions of America. Uh, this is an outdoor nighttime uh, sound and light experience um, that will be projected on the buildings here on our campus. So projections up to 90 feet tall. Uh, you will be immersed in the music, the images, the footage of World War II. Um, so it's this big epic show, but it's also got a real narrative and a story to it that's very personal and poignant in that just about all of the spoken word comes directly from the letters and the diaries of, of real people. So it's kind of a window into what extraordinary people did during this extraordinary time. Wow. You've, you've got me hooked. <laughs> I want to book a flight and go. Um, the, the fact that you're able to do it all from the, the words and thoughts of those that participated. Um, talk to me about the undertaking that it took to put that together. Yeah, I mean, I think we are all about uh, storytelling here, always have been. Everything we do, we want to put the, the men and women that served at the forefront of the story. And, and much of that over the last 20 years in our campus has been done by using oral history, stories that were collected, you know, decades after the war. What's really special about Expressions of America is that the majority of the spoken word comes from letters and diaries that were written during the war. So there's a real vulnerability to this. There's a tension. You know, many of the writers didn't know what the outcome of the war would be. And, and these were their very personal thoughts to loved ones. So, you know, talking about what it was like to enlist, serving in combat, working on the home front, missing a loved one overseas. Um, it's really special. And I think uh, one of the most enjoyable parts of this process has been working with our curators to source all of this great material sure. and, and really bring it to the public in a, a really you know, dynamic and new way. Yeah. Um, to do it outdoors, obviously you're dependent upon good weather. What's the schedule of run for this uh, display? So we're going to run it uh, about three times a week. Um, you know, uh, certainly on the weekends, we obviously have a lot of clients and, and guests that come but that will do it privately. But uh, three times a week, uh, you can go to our website and, and get all of the information on the uh, show schedule at national www.museum.org, uh, but this is a permanent uh, part of the museum campus now and will be shown here, you know, ongoing for years to come. Um, there are so many kind of good elements about this production that I think are worth noting, but uh, Gary Sinise, who's a friend of the show and has been on yep. uh, several times, is also your narrator for this. What was it like when you guys approached him about being part of it. Uh, what was his response and, and how perfect of a fit do you think it uh, was for the uh, for the presentation? Well, you know, Gary, uh, he is an amazing uh, man, uh, a great patriot. He has been an amazing partner to our museum. Uh, he's brought veterans to our campus. He's helped collect these stories. And, and as is always the case with Gary, uh, he didn't need a lot of arm twisting or convincing. He was hmm. all in uh, from day one. and. Uh, Anything that he can do to honor this generation, uh, he has always been there uh, for us. And as Gary always says, no matter how much we do, uh, it will never uh, be enough. So to have him as part of this, to have him as our narrator, to help stitch this together, just adds another really uh, amazing element to the whole production. 
Talk to me about the stories themselves. Are we just talking about uh, former uh, military members that, that served, or are we talking about the impact on their families and uh, kind of the extended narratives as well? It's all of it. Uh, of course, there will be combat uh, experiences and reflections in there, but you know, there's also you know a, a great scene, a, a tough scene, where it's an exchange of, of letters between a husband and wife. Husband is deployed overseas. The wife is at home. Um, she has uh, their first child during this exchange, mm. um, and he's a P-38 pilot that gets wow. shot down uh, uh, a month before the end of the war and is killed. And the sort of trailing part of that scene is, you know, she's not getting responses to these letters. So you 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 hear and you sense the anxiety and the the fear, and it and it's just you know that's just one example of how. You know, we tell this big, complicated narrative and, and all parts of it, not just the combat experience. Circling back to what I started with, Stephen, I'd love to get your opinion on this. World War II seems to have um, a footnote or a marker or a fascination or whatever you want to call it in a lot of people's psyches that other wars didn't. And World War I was big. Mm -hmm. uh, Afghanistan was longer. Um, certainly Vietnam was messier um, and there continues to be uh, you know debate about what what you know any future conflict will look like what was it about World War II that seemed to change not only the dynamic of the human psyche but but even the, the global direction of the planet why was this why was this war so important that's a great question well I think certainly from an American perspective you know we were attacked and, and that brought clarity to our response. And I think this was a, a clear fight uh, for freedom, uh, democracy and human rights. And the, the country rallied together uh, like never before. Uh, you know, 16.1 million men and women put on the uniform. So just about every family in this country was touched by this. Um, how the home front mobilized. Um, so this was just a, you know, a, a big war that engaged the whole country. And I think there was a clarity of purpose and mission that this was a, you know, a fight that had to be won. And uh, I think that continues to resonate with uh, the American public. You know, here we are almost 80 years later, um, we are down to the last 1% of that generation that are still yeah. with us. And I think we believe that makes our mission and our job at the National World War II Museum uh, even more important. We have to continue to be their storyteller, you know, long after they have departed. Uh, Stephen Watson, CEO of the uh, National World War II Museum in New Orleans. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Once again, from New York, here's Radio Night Live and Kevin McCullough. Ladies and gentlemen, I was just with her at the Wing Feather Saga premiere red carpet this week. New Music Spotlight, here's Ellie Holcomb.
shaking Didn't know where to hide The wind's howling outside Sounded like everything was breaking Music from Ellie, uh, Ellie Holcomb as she returns to the New Music Spotlight stage here in 2022. She's back next hour, along with the Ladies' Lounge. It's hour number two, Kevin McCullough, live from New York. <laughs> 